Well, good morning, ladies. And as you can see from the outline on the board behind me, we have a lot to cover this morning. So sorry if I cut you short on your um, time with your small groups, but um, we're just going to get started. Today we'll be looking at the beginning of Jesus's ministry in Galilee. And as you might recall, last week we saw how John the Baptist had set the stage, preparing the way for Jesus, spreading the good news that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, was here. He was pointing people to repentance so they could receive salvation that would be offered to them by the Messiah. Jesus appears, he's baptized, marked out by God as the beloved Son of God and anointed by the Holy Spirit to go forward with his mission. Jesus, the messianic king for all humanity. But before he heads out on this mission, we saw how Jesus faced Satan and his 40 days of temptation. Not only did Jesus face them, but he was victorious over them, defeating Satan's attacks and temptations, and now Jesus is returning in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. The Spirit who will work in and through Christ during his life on earth. Healing, delivering, having authority, preaching, these were not something Jesus would do by himself, but as a man empowered by God, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Even though Jesus knew the scriptures so well, his knowledge didn't come simply from human learning and understanding, but from the Holy Spirit's revelation. So as we begin to take a look at his ministry in Galilee, let me just pray for us one more time. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us here today to study your word. May you clear our minds of any distractions so that we can be open to the Holy Spirit's leading. Help us as we read and meditate on this lesson. May we all walk away today with a greater understanding of who you are and your great love for all people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Luke tells us that news began spreading fast about Jesus and what better place to go and share the good news of salvation than to those who you know, right? Well, those who once were close to you, who shared life with you, the place where you were brought up, it would be like a homecoming. So Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth and on the Sabbath in a synagogue, Jesus reads the scroll of the prophet of Isaiah that was handed to him. In front of those in his hometown, we see in chapter 4, verse 17, it starts. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, saying to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Basically, it's like Jesus tells them that while you're listening to me, this prophecy is being fulfilled. Well, jaws are dropped, minds are blown. They were amazed, they were impressed. Yet, they were skeptical. Wait a minute, is he for real? 
This is Joseph's son, Jesus, the son of a carpenter. He's no one special, yet he has just declared himself and his ministry to be the fulfillment of promise. How could this be? He has just declared that the spirit of the Lord is upon him, that he was coming to proclaim the good news to the poor, setting prisoners free and those who were oppressed, setting them free, meaning he is the Messiah, the one who will bring the salvation of God, the one that the Jews were waiting for. Again, is he for real? Well, they wanted proof. Prove it, Jesus. Do those miracles that we've heard of. But no, Jesus refuses. He reminds them of the many prophets in the Old Testament that were not received well in their own land, how God's message was rejected. And he reminds them how the Jews in the Old Testament rejected the truth. Yet God blessed Gentiles who recognized him. Well, Gentiles, that didn't go over well. We see in verse 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They were furious. They chased after him, wanting to throw him over a cliff. So much for a homecoming celebration. Obviously, they didn't recognize that he was for real, but instead painted him a false prophet. But I love what it, verse 30 says. But passing through their midst, he went away. Just like that, amongst all the rage, the chaos, he went away. Faith and humility, it was something they lacked. Faith and humility, is this something we have or do we lack? Do we trust in the wisdom and salvation of God? Do we see ourselves as we truly are, fallen in sin and helpless without God? Are our eyes and hearts open to see and obey Jesus as our own Lord and Savior? Let our hearts not be hardened like those in Nazareth, chasing Jesus out of our lives. And so we now see in chapter 4, verse 31, that Jesus moves on. And he went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. Again, we find him where he loves to be in the synagogue on a Sabbath, teaching people, preaching the good news of salvation and driving demons out, all with authority and power, preaching and healing. And the people are, were amazed. Not only were they amazed, but word spread quickly about Jesus and his ministry quickly grows. He goes to Simon's house where he finds Simon's mother-in-law with a high fever. He rebukes it and she is healed too. And she goes off immediately responding in praise by serving them. Just think about it. One minute she's dying and with a touch of Jesus's hand, she's now bringing you tea and biscuits. Is he for real? Well, the sun begins to set and now people of all kinds of sicknesses, ailments and diseases are coming to Jesus. They recognize that he is for real. He is the anointed one. Healing after healing, exorcisms, silencing demons who recognize that Jesus was the son of God. He silenced those demons because Jesus would establish his ministry and authority according to God's plan and not by the testimony of demons. And at daybreak, after what was probably a very long night of healing after healing, Jesus takes time to be alone. 
He takes time to pray to God, his Father, to have communion with him. But the crowds find him and beg him to stay. But Jesus, knowing that others need to hear the good news of salvation, he must go. We see here his amazing authoritative power and ultimate compassion for all people, and he casts demons out, takes fevers away, gives sight to the blind, fixes broken bones, and so on and so on. We too can look to Jesus in our sickness, in our pain, whether it be our own or our loved ones. But as we do so, let's remember to look to Jesus, the greater physician, the one who brought us ultimate healing by the blood on the cross. We have hope that he will bring us full healing and restoration one day, no matter what the circumstances are in our life. And in response, may we praise God, serving him, serving others. May we be just as compassionate as he is, pointing others to Christ, our source of eternal healing and abundant life. Well, as our study guide points out on the very bottom of page 43, it says, another day, another crowd. It writes there on the bottom of page 43, people come from all over Galilee to hear Jesus teach and to see, perhaps even receive a miracle. On one occasion while Jesus is teaching at water's edge, a crowd presses in so close that he has to jump into a nearby boat to get some breathing room. His teaching has become so popular. He jumps into Simon's boat, pushes out from shore, and addresses the crowds who are on the shore listening. When his teaching was over, it was time to fish. The fishermen had had no luck all night, and now it's daytime, apparently not the ideal time to catch fish. But Jesus, not the fisherman, but the preacher, the son of a carpenter, all of a sudden he's telling the fishermen how to fish. Chapter 5, verse 4. And when he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon's immediate response, obedience. Even though they had caught zero fish, and he knew as a seasoned fisherman that even though fish go to the very deep bottom of the lake when the sun is up, he responds positively to Jesus' leading and to Jesus' word. Well, we all know what happened next. Against all fishing odds, they ended up with two boatfuls of fish and broken nets from pulling them in. Peter, immediately recognizing that he's in the presence of God, he immediately recognizes and confesses that he is a sinner. He's feeling unworthy of Jesus' blessing, and with humility, he asks Jesus to depart, to leave. He feels he has no chance with God. But because of his humble heart, Jesus calls Peter to drop everything. Everything he knows about fishing, everything he has worked for and knows, and instead of catching fish, they'll be reeling in men. It says this in chapter 5, verse 11, about Peter, James, and John. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They were willing to go and be fully committed to following Jesus. God uses those who humbly turn to him. When Jesus tells us to cast our nets, do we do so in faith? When he directs us in our decision-making, are we willing to follow his leading, even if it seems difficult, impossible, 
or downright crazy in our minds, even if we think we know what we're doing, may we have the faith and humility of these fishermen to recognize and confess our sins, to answer his call, trusting and following him where he leads, sharing others with sharing Jesus with others so that they too can encounter him. Luke then tells us about more healings, more miracles. The next section, chapter 5, verses 12 to 32, the sick, the lame, the despised. First, a leper. Leprosy, a very bad infectious skin disease affecting the nervous system. It would eat away at flesh, causing awful tumor-like growths, disfiguring hands and feet. One would be considered a social outcast, needing to stay away from others. They would need to live on their own or in communities with other lepers. Those with leprosy were to walk around with their clothes torn, their hair untidy, their mouth covered, and they had to yell unclean to anyone who may be approaching. Well, with great courage and humility, a leper, leper approaches Jesus. You don't do that. You're supposed to stay away. Yet he approaches Jesus. And we see in chapter 5, verse 12, he asks, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. If you're willing, Lord. He knew Jesus was capable. He just didn't know if he would extend mercy to even him, an outcast. And in verse 13, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Jesus touches him. A leper? You don't do that. Yet his tender touch of compassion heals the man. He healed a man who willingly turned to him for cleansing, and Jesus freely, willingly gave. Well, news spread again, and more crowds gathered to hear Jesus, and some in hopes of being healed. But at this time, Luke finds it important to point out, again, that Jesus stops. He stops to pray. No matter how busy Jesus was, he stays close to God in communion with him. And then Luke jumps right in to tell us about another miraculous healing, a paralytic man. These friends are carrying this man on a stretcher, wanting to bring him to Jesus to be healed. But they can't get through the crowds that are in and around the house. So they do the next best thing and they destroy someone's roof. And they climb up there, and thank goodness um, a roof back then was flat. And they peel away the sticks and the mud and the tiles, and they lower their friend into this packed house in to see Jesus. Jesus looks up and, and sees this man coming down from the ceiling, and he sees the man's faith in their actions, and, and he tells the man, your sins are forgiven. Well, the Pharisees and the scribes, who are now part of the crowd, are watching Jesus. And they heard him just tell the man that his sins were forgiven. This is blasphemy. They know that only God can forgive sins. So they call him out for slandering against God. All along, Jesus has been healing the sick, casting out demons, but now, we can be released by the power of sin in our life by Jesus. And so in order to prove his authority, Jesus heals the man too. Well, we can hear the crowd going wild now. 
in chapter 5, verse 26. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Jesus forgives sins. There is salvation in Jesus. And when Jesus saves, there's restoration, there's liberty, there's joy and rejoicing. And just as Jesus so freely and willingly gave to those who in faith came to him, he so freely and willingly gives to us too. Luke now tells us of another encounter with an outcast, Levi, not a leper, but a tax collector, a social and religious outcast, hated by people and regarded a sinner. Tax collectors were known as cheaters, collecting more than they should, keeping a few extra coins here or there for themselves. Yet what a shock when the Pharisees find out that Jesus is dining with Levi and all his money-loving tax collector sinner friends. Levi had responded to Jesus' invitation to follow him. Just like the fisherman, Levi had been asked to follow me, said Jesus, and he did. He left his job and his financial security behind. Levi was a sinner in need of a savior. He needed Christ to transform him by the power of his grace and forgiveness. All of Levi's money-loving sinner friends, they needed Jesus too. Chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We're not a museum of saints, but a hospital for sinners. We've heard that said over and over again here at MABC. We need Jesus. He calls out to all who realize they need help. He calls us to repentance, a change of heart and life, turning from our sinful way and toward God, acknowledging our need for forgiveness and God's grace. All sinners, tax collectors, teachers, store clerks, mechanics, ministry leaders, whoever you are, whoever we are, whatever we do, all of us need a savior. All, we all need the hope of the gospel. By now, the Pharisees were watching Jesus and his disciples more and more closely. Opposition to Jesus was growing. But it's the Sabbath. Surely Jesus will mess up. Let's watch him closely. The Sabbath, the holy day of rest. In Jewish tradition, there were many rules, many prohibited activities, specific things that you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, they were watching. And two incidents take place. First, they see Jesus and his disciples eating grain from a field. Well, surely they are guilty because they're reaping, they're threshing, they're winnowing, they're preparing food. They are working on the Sabbath. As he's called out by the Pharisees, Jesus goes directly to the scriptures. He rebukes them for not remembering that David in the Old Testament ate holy bread, which was not lawful. He was pointing out that human need is more important than religious ritual. Jesus claims authority over the scriptures. Oh, and by the way, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, he says. I, Jesus, have authority over the Sabbath. 
So basically, Jesus is proclaiming that he is the one who has authority even over the rules and regulations that govern the Sabbath day. Luke at this point doesn't tell us how they react, but we can only imagine. And here's one more, but it's the Sabbath situation. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. The Pharisees are watching again. They're spying. There's a crippled man. Will Jesus do the unlawful thing according to the Pharisees' rules by working on a Sunday and heal him? Let's watch. Let's see. Jesus questions them in chapter 6, verse 9. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Basically, it would be evil to do nothing and not save this man's life. So Jesus does a beautiful thing and he heals this man. He restores his life and he brings him joy. You think they'd be happy for the man singing God's praises and rejoicing. He was restored. No, there's no compassion. The Pharisees were furious, angry, and raged. Their authority is now being challenged and they don't like it. The law and rules took priority. They felt the Sabbath was violated. That's it. The time has come. Enough. This Jesus must be stopped. And they begin to plot against him. They've been watching and listening. Everything they've seen and heard, they've refused to accept. The healings, the miracles, the preaching, the prophecy, his compassion for the poor, the sick, the oppressed, their hearts were hardened to it all. With all this rising opposition, Jesus realized it was time. Jesus needed to organize his followers. But just before he does, he does something else again. And we see in chapter um, 6, verse 12, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued to pray to God. He spent the whole night praying to God, his Father. He again remains in communion with God. Then, the choosing the twelve. Jesus chooses twelve men to be his apostles, his representatives, commissioned to proclaim the good news, to go and preach the gospel. The 12 are a very diverse group of men, fishermen, tax collectors, a political person, every kind, everyday kind of people. Were they chosen because of their power, status, or money? No, they were chosen because of their character and their integrity. Their central bond was Jesus. And now the final section we'll look at is chapter 6, verses 17 to 49. The Sermon on the Plain. This is similar to the Sermon on the Mount that is found in Matthew. Because of the similarity, some scholars believe that these sermons are simply different accounts of the same event. However, there are some differences. So many scholars believe these were two different um, sermons delivered at two different locations to do two different groups. Nevertheless, whether it was the same sermon or different sermon, this teaching is Jesus' instruction to the people who came to follow him. And what a great crowd that was. They came to listen to Jesus' teaching and be healed by him. Crowds and crowds wanting just to touch him as he compassionately cared for them, healing them. 
This is a long sermon, a discourse highlighting expectation that Jesus has for his followers. And we'll just quickly break it down and summarize it briefly. And we'll break it down into three parts. Number one, blessings and woes. <clears throat> Excuse me, verses 20 to 26. Number two, a call to love and mercy, verses 27 to 38. And number three, a call to righteousness, fruit, and wise building, verses 39 to 49. Number one, blessings and woes. Jesus offers blessings, an outpouring of God's grace of blessing to those who experience hardships. Those who are poor, hungry, who weep, who are hated because of their faith. But woe to those who are uncaring about those around them and who refuse to be sensitive to God. Misfortune or judgment comes. Number two, a call to love and mercy. What are they to do with their enemies, those who oppose them? Jesus teaches how they are to love them, bless them, pray for them, be compassionate and generous, be merciful and not judging. They are to be sensitive to others' needs, meeting the needs of others, loving in a way that reflects the character of God, a merciful, gracious, forgiving God, loving in a way that differs from the world. And number three, a call to righteousness, fruit, and wise building. Jesus told parables, warning how they are to be careful which teachers they follow, to follow Jesus and not anyone else to be accountable to their own faults rather than those of others. And finally, Jesus calls the crowd to general discipleship by teaching them how to build their lives on him. And if they do, they won't be shaken by the hardships of this world, but instead they would remain strong. Jesus wants us to understand that following him means radically changing the way we live. A heart change, changing the way we think, the way we treat others, the way we respond to others, forgiving others, fully surrendering to him. Jesus is our firm foundation and he is our rock. And when we build our foundation on the truth of Jesus and who he is, then we are on unshakable ground. The Sermon on the Plain, expectations that Jesus has for his followers. And for us, if we are his followers, we are to be like Jesus. To have a heart like Jesus, full of compassion for the poor, the needy, the sick, the oppressed. Showing care, love, mercy, generosity, being forgiving. To have a heart like Jesus, desiring to reach the lost with the good news of the gospel, the gospel of the saving grace of God through his son, Jesus. So, is he for real? The Messiah was prophesied about in the Old Testament. John the Baptist prepared the way for him, announcing of his coming. And then here he is, Jesus, anointed by the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the good news of salvation to the poor, setting free prisoners and those who were oppressed, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. He spoke and taught the scriptures with authority. Filled with the Holy Spirit's power, full of compassion, he healed with authority, performed miracles with authority, and was able to forgive sins. Here we heard the words of Jesus, the friend of sinners. We felt the heartbeat of Jesus who seeks and saves the lost. 
May our hearts be open to recognize and fully trust in Jesus, believing in him for salvation. May we fully put our faith in him as savior, believing in what he has done for all humanity, that he died for our sins, and then the extent of Jesus's authority is seen in his triumph over death. Trusting in Jesus as savior and accepting his forgiveness. He is real. Jesus, the Son of God who has all authority to forgive sins, and only he provides salvation to all who believe. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for who you are, for being a loving, merciful, and gracious Father, for seeking and saving us, the lost, and loving us with an unconditional love. Lord, we pray that you give us faith to believe, to believe in Jesus, to believe in the one who demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And because of your great love for us, you made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins. May we now go forward in Christ's love, sharing this good news with others who are lost and in need of a Savior too. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.